0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And while you are uh, standing up, hopefully grabbing your Bible, I'm going to dismiss all the kids out this side door for Jumpstart. You guys will be back in just a minute. Uh, if you've got your Bible, can you please open up to 1 Kings chapter 12? Uh, if you're joining us, we're in a series right now called Whole, where we're going through the whole Old Testament. All right, let's see if I can do this by myself. <laughs> Open up in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. Uh, If we haven't met yet, my name is Dustin. I am the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. And uh, like we like to say around here, nobody is here by accident. Uh, So with that in mind, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12, and we're going to read through uh, the first 15 verses. Uh, So with that in mind, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us out of 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him in Jeroboam. And all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. "'He said to them, "'Go away for three days, then come again to me.'" So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before King Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, "'How do you advise me to answer this people?' And they said to him, "'If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever.'" But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my dad's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said. Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. And forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you as scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Runs the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray. Now, Father, would we learn everything that we need to learn from this story of Rehoboam's folly. Lord, thank you for the book of First Kings and the Holy Spirit. Even now, would you be at work in our hearts and minds to hear what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What are the 10 parts of your system that are most likely to fail? What are the 10 parts that fail most often? Uh, He was one of those guys that, uh, you know, when he comes in the room, uh, everybody stands up. Have you ever worked for somebody like that? I used to work for the Department of Defense. And I remember years ago, uh, we had a new director who had been a general. Uh, before he became the director over our weapons system. And the new director, the guy who used to be a general, he called a meeting with our entire project office. Anyone ever here worked in a project office? I was a lowly intern. I was not important. I don't even know why I was invited to the meeting. I think it was because the general wanted to make a statement. And the general called our project office together, all probably 30 of us, into a meeting with him. And uh, he walked in and everybody instinctively stood up probably out of fear more than anything. Also, he was a pretty intimidating general. Well, he sat down, and everybody was really nervous. And I'll never forget looking at my boss, who uh, looked extremely nervous, and sitting right next to him was his boss, uh, a guy uh, that uh, had always intimidated me as a pretty intimidating guy. I mean, we were all working for the Army, right? You know, the higher up you go, usually the more intimidating everybody gets. And I remember watching my boss and my boss's boss sort of squirm when the new director came into the room. And, you know, I'm this lowly intern, and I'm kind of sitting back, and I'm, I'm like, you know, Lord have mercy, have, nobody, nobody say anything to me, I hope he doesn't point at me and says, what are you doing here, because I'm not going to know what to answer. So I'm just sitting in the back, and the general looks at my boss, and the boss's boss, and we don't even go through any sort of pleasantries, there's no sort of like, tell us about your project office. The director looks at my boss and his boss, and he says, what are the 10 most likely parts of your system that are going to fail. And what did my boss and his boss say? Uh, we don't know. And how did the general feel about that answer? He said, you're telling me you are supporting soldiers on the field and you don't know which 10 parts of your system are most likely to fail? How are you supposed to improve unless you know why failure's happening? And then you know what the general did? He canceled the meeting." He said, I don't want to meet with you until you figure out why your system is failing. Come back again when you've figured out what those 10 parts are, and then I'll have this meeting. And then he left. <laughs> so what was the point of the general's question? How can you improve unless you know what's causing failure in the system? Anybody ever have a, have a boss like that? Um, you know, if you maybe you have like an engineer's mind. Anybody have one of those engineer's minds where you like to take things apart and figure out why things are, are breaking? Anybody have a mind like that? Well, I think that's very similar to what this general was doing, right? What what was causing failure in our weapon system, right? In our project office? Well, until we figure out why it's failing, how can we improve, uh, friends? That is very much the mentality of the author of the book of Kings. So if you look down in your Bible right now, you'll know that we have this uh, series right now. We're going through the Old Testament sort of book by book. And when it comes to the book of Kings, uh, this is not just simply uh, the story of the kings of Israel. Sure, it is the story of the kings of Israel, right? So if you look down, you know, there's first Kings uh, and then there's second Kings, which uh, some of you may know that was originally just one book, but you know, it's pretty long. So they split it into two. But really, the whole argument of the book of Kings is not simply um, telling us history. The point is not just that, well, these were the kings, so I guess this is the point, right? We're we're getting kings. The author is actually making a really specific argument throughout this book, which is very simply, why did the nation of Israel fail? You see, in the beginning of Kings, we have this wonderful, grandiose uh, story of a guy named King Solomon He's sort of like the pinnacle of the Old Testament. He's super wealthy. He has all of these uh, incredible attributes. He's the wisest man who ever lived. And yet, as you read 1 Kings, uh, especially chapter 11, something tragic happens. King Solomon's heart turns away from the Lord because he has 700 wives who worship other gods. And in 1 Kings 11, it actually says Solomon's heart turned away to worship other gods, and he built high places to worship false gods. And then right here in chapter 12, what happens next is Solomon's son, unfortunately, leads so poorly that the nation of Israel splits in two. And really, that's what's happening in our passage is we're seeing the splitting of the nation. Ten tribes leave to go do their own thing, and that leaves only the tribe of Judah and Benjamin left, right? So there's ten tribes in the north called the nation of Israel, and then there's two tribes left called the nation of Judah. But if you were to read through the whole book of Kings, you know, the author knows the whole story, right, because he's writing the story. By the end of the book of Kings, what happens? Well, that northern kingdom is removed and exiled by a group of people called the Assyrians. And then the southern kingdom gets removed by a group of people called the Babylonians. And the story ends with the tragic destruction of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Right? So uh, the book of Kings, if you look at it, it's not just a story. Right, there, It is a story. These are true stories. But the author is making a point. As he's reflecting on the history of these kings, the overarching question he has is why was there failure in the system? <laughs> why did it not work? And what's really interesting about this passage uh, with the, in chapter 12, where we start to see the splitting of the kingdom into two, Uh, is that there are sort of two answers given that are going to be sort of the two points that I want you to take away this morning. Uh, And I think they're pretty simple, but uh, think about it this way. Does the kingdom split? Do these bad things happen because of something people do? Like, do people screw it up? Is that what happens? Or is it because God, in his providence, decided that this was going to be the course of action that he wanted to bring about? Uh, Think about it this way, maybe. Um, I think for a lot of us, when we see things in our lives, you know, uh, that aren't really going well, or we see things in our country that aren't going well, or maybe you're looking at things in your family or in your career that aren't going well, uh, you you know, there's, like, kind of two ways to take that, right? One is to look at, like, everything through sort of, like, hyper-spiritual eyes and think that, like, you know, God is basically just using people like puppets, and, like, no one has, you know, choices that matter. You know, God's just going to do what he's going to do, and, like, it doesn't really matter what I say. It doesn't really matter what I do, because God's going to control everything. And then, of course, like, on the other end of the spectrum, there's some people who would say, well, God's not really involved in any of these. You know, it's only because of human error or human choice. Uh, But, friends, what the Bible presents is (laughs) a much more robust view of how to see life, uh, which is both of those things are somehow mysteriously true. The kingdom splits in chapter 12 because of Rehoboam's foolishness. It's because of his unsurprising stupidity. (laughs) The kingdom splits. And yet, somehow, somehow, God had ordained that to happen. And had allowed it to happen and was using this awful experience, this awful shift in the history to bring about his divine purposes. So with that, what we're going to see in our passage today is hopefully uh, sort of this idea, how do we understand uh, our lives and how do we see God being involved? So right there, let's look at our uh, passage. The first thing I want you to see, just two points, I want you to see unsurprising stupidity. Why is there failure in the system, right? Uh, Well, look with me right there at uh, chapter 12, verse 1. All right, so Rehoboam, if you don't know, he is King Solomon's son, right? So he is next in line. But what he has to do is he's, you know, even a king has to rule with consent of the people, right? And so what happens is Solomon has just passed away, and now Rehoboam is ready to become king. Look at verse 1. And so Rehoboam goes to Shechem, which is a a wonderful place to have some kind of, you know, coronation service. This is where uh, a lot of things in the Old Testament have happened, like Joshua. Remember the guy Joshua, and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that happened at Shechem. He said that at Shechem. So it makes sense that this would be an, an obvious place to have sort of a coronation. And so what Rehoboam does is he goes and he meets with the tribal leaders, basically, and he says, well, hey, I'm ready to be king, except they have a request for the new king. And what's their request? We'll look at verse 4. They say, your father, that's Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Now, if you know the life of Solomon, over time he begins to use sort of forced labor more and more, right? And he taxed the people heavily, right? And so what the people basically say is, well, we want to serve you as king, but man, your dad taxed us to death and it was a lot and he forced us to do a lot of work. We will gladly serve you as king, but will you please ease up on us a little bit? And, you know, Rehoboam, uh, to his credit, says what? Look at verse 5. Rehoboam's wanting to be king, and the people seem to make a pretty reasonable request, right? There's, it's still only one kingdom at this point. All the 12 tribes are still together, and the, and the tribes say, please take it easy on us with the taxes and the forced labor. And so he listens to their request, and in verse 5, Rehoboam says to them, uh, give me a few days to think about it. He says, you know, go away, come back, and I'll meet you right back here in three days. Give me some time to consider your request, right? So the people went back to their homes, and Rehoboam presumably went back uh, to Jerusalem. And then uh, King Rehoboam, right there, verse 6, he decides to listen to some advice. And, uh, you know, as we read about this story, remember, um, this is Solomon's son, right? And that's important to remember when you think about the whole Bible, because the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon to his son. And so a lot of the things that are happening in this story should strike us as deeply sad and ironic, because Solomon wrote Proverbs, he collected Proverbs, so that his son would know how to lead well. And yet Rehoboam is foolish. Well, look at verse 6. So Rehoboam Uh, You know, he remembers something that his dad said, which is, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in much counsel. If you want to make a decision, ask some people, ask for some help. And so Rehoboam, to his credit, you know, he says, give me some time to think about it. You know, I I hear your request, give me some time. And then he does something that's presumably wise. He goes to the guys who uh, were friends with Solomon, that uh, were Solomon's advisors. And he says, what do you want me to say? Look at verse 6. He says, how do you want me to answer these people? You know, what am I supposed to say? And what did the old guys, the elders who uh, grew up and advised Solomon, what is their advice to Rehoboam? What do they say? Well, what do they say? Look at verse 7. They, they tell Rehoboam, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. <laughs> Right? They say if you listen to their request and you prove yourself to not just be an arrogant, self-centered king, if you show yourself to be a servant king, a king who is actually genuinely trying to serve the people, they will follow you forever. This is an easy one, Rehoboam. This is a softball right down the center of the plate, man. Give it to him and you'll have the kingdom forever. But does Rehoboam take that advice? Rehoboam, unfortunately, demonstrates unsurprising stupidity. Look at verse 8. But Rehoboam abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he asked them, What do you advise that we should answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the burden that your father put on us? Right? So he listens to the, uh, the elders, the older guys, and they give him advice. They say, be a servant king, don't be self-centered, uh, you'll have a kingdom forever. He doesn't like that advice, he abandons it, and he goes to guys that he grew up with. And remember, uh, these are very different groups of people, it's not just about age, although that's definitely a part of it. Remember that the elders who advised Solomon would have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, because they were Israelites, But remember, who did Rehoboam grow up with? Who was Solomon married to? How many wives did Solomon have? What was the life of Rehoboam like? He was surrounded with false worship and people who worshipped other gods. And some of these young men almost certainly worshipped other gods and had a very different understanding of what it meant to be a king and what it meant to worship the one true God and what it meant to be righteous. So he goes to these younger guys who are his buddies And he says, well, what do you think I should do, guys? And what do they say? Look at verse 10. Well, this is what you should say. Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you should lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my dad's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions, right? So basically what they tell him is they say, oh, they're asking for you to be, you know, to lighten the burden. Tell him you're way tougher and you're way more of a man than your dad ever was. And that if your dad was tough, buddy, you're going to be 10 times worse. And yes, he doesn't say little finger. In Hebrew, he says, my little thing. That's the Bible for you. And people think it's boring. (laughs) Yeah, my little pinky is bigger than my dad's thigh. I'm going to discipline you as scorpions. They're crude. They're arrogant. And it's the way of evil. You know, it's so sad because, you know, you read over in a the book of Proverbs, you know, the thing that, you know, Solomon put together for exactly this moment. And it actually, in Proverbs says, he says, I hate the works that are evil and perverted speech. And that's exactly what these guys tell Rehoboam. They give him perverted speech that is arrogant and proud. And of course, uh, because of his unsurprising stupidity, Rehoboam does what? Well, that's the advice that he likes, because he thinks that's what it means to be a man, is to be a tough guy right? And he's so out of touch. This guy's so out of touch with reality that he thinks it's going to work. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that's part of the stupidity of stupidity, right? Is that people think it's going to work. And so what happens is he meets up with the people. Look at verse 12. So all the people come together. Three days later, in verse 13, the king answered the people harshly, he for, uh, forsaking the counsel the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I'm going to add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Well, thankfully, he didn't make the crass reference about the thighs, which is good. But the point is still, he says, I'm still going to be incredibly cruel to you, right? And so what happens if you keep reading in uh, chapter 12, uh, you look down at verse 16 and following, what happens is the 10 tribes that are meeting, they they decide, okay, we're going to leave. And they split off and they form their own nation right? So what are we supposed to learn from this? You know, um, remember the book of Kings is trying to do what that general did, right? It's trying to answer the question, why is there failure in the system? And I I don't think you have to be an engineer or have an engineer's mind to want to know why bad things happen, right? And, And what went wrong and how could we have prevented that? The author of Kings is trying to look back on the history of Israel and say, where did we go wrong? What ruined this? And one of the main arguments that he has is because there was a king named Rehoboam who would not listen to wise counsel. And yet, and yet, there's something else going on. But let me just sort of pause right there and let's, let's think about Rehoboam. What are you and I supposed to learn from the life of Rehoboam and this awful thing. Uh, Remember, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, I preached on it a few weeks ago, I think when I was preaching on uh, Numbers. And uh, 1 Corinthians says the things in the Old Testament happened so that we would be instructed by it, right? They happened for our instruction is what Paul says. So when you and I look at Rehoboam, what are we supposed to learn from? Well, I think the first thing we're supposed to learn from is part and parcel of being wise is knowing how to receive instruction. You know, it's amazing to me how uh, I don't care how many degrees you have or don't have or how successful you are or not or what kind of work you do or honestly, how old you are. It doesn't really matter if you're 13 or like 93. I, have, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be wise. I, I, there are people who like take a pride maybe in like not having formal schooling or thinking like other people. But regardless of how you think about formal education, everybody wants to think that they have life figured out, right? Whether you're 13 or 93, you want to think that you and I, we have this inside track with how life is supposed to work, right? Everybody wants to be wise. Uh, But, you know, what's amazing is when you think about what it means to be wise, we often think it requires some sort of like heavy intellectualism or um, a bunch of life experience and Those two things can provide a lot of wisdom. But if you were to read the book of Proverbs and listen to the wisest guy that ever walked on the earth besides Jesus, King Solomon, repeatedly all throughout the book of Proverbs, what he will define wisdom as is the ability to receive instruction. It's the ability to go to somebody who knows more than you and say, will you help me with this? What is the wise thing? And part of your wisdom is knowing who to listen to and who not to listen to, who to receive instruction and wisdom from and who to sort of plug up your ears when they start talking, right? I mean, think about it uh, this way. Uh, You know, uh, Solomon, you know, writing, uh, you know, says it this way. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates being corrected is stupid, right? Right? those who take advice are wise whoever heeds being corrected is honored um, i could probably list off 24 verses uh, proverbs in the book of proverbs on that exact theme so when you you reflect on on the book of rehoboam i guess uh, do, what i would ask you is do you know who to listen to <laughs> uh, i know the number of people to listen to it feels like it's getting smaller and smaller every week doesn't it and who to trust And we've talked about that, right? We're struggling to know friend from foe these days. Uh, But part of being wise is knowing who to listen to. So, you know, what decisions do you think you have going on in your mind right now? You know, I mean, some of us are young, trying to figure out where to go to college. Uh, Some of us are trying to figure out who to date or who to marry. Some of you are trying to figure out what to do with all that stimulus money you've got. Some of you are trying to figure out what your career is supposed to do. What is the next step in your career? Uh, Some of you have been blessed by God with incredible resources, and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to invest in the kingdom with my resources. Uh, Some of you are trying to question, is now the time to retire? How do you use your retirement? Well, when you reflect on the life of Rehoboam, do you see where the failure in the system took place? what are you supposed to learn from the Holy Spirit about the life of Rehoboam? Where did he go wrong? He listened to his friends who told him to make things about him. He listened to people who said, you make you your first commitment. Of course, there's this obvious point too, of course, that Rehoboam listened to people his own age instead of listening to people older. And it's not that everybody older is wiser than everybody younger, right? I mean, we serve a king who only lived to age 33. But there is an obvious sense throughout the Bible that the older that people are, the more wisdom they have because they have more life experience. And in general, they become more understanding, right? And so Rehoboam should be listening to people who are older than him, right? This is why, you know, Solomon will say things like, listen to your elders and listen to your parents. I mean, this is why your parents say this to you, right? Because they want to say, just imagine a world where maybe I know a little bit more than you. (laughs) I know that seems like a fantasy world, right? But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to honor people who are older than us and assume that they may know something that we don't, right? Because wisdom is not having a bigger brain and having more information. Wisdom is knowing how to receive instruction. Wisdom is tied up in humility. And Rehoboam doesn't have it. Now, is it just because they're old, they know what to do? And is it just because these guys were young, they didn't know what to do? I don't think that's the point. And I think the passage teaches that. Uh, What's the problem, of course, is if you look at the content of the advice, what are the old guys telling him to do? They're saying, you need to be a servant king. You need to see your calling in service to others. They will serve you, but you are called to serve them. Whereas the guys are saying, well, just make it about you, right? Uh, there's that sort of sense of entitlement, right? But the old guys want him to be a servant king, whereas his friends want him to be sort of arrogant and self-centered. So all that to say, do you know who to listen to? Do you know who the elders of faith are in your life? Um, do you, are you learning what you need to learn? Are you receiving instruction or are you just listening to people that are like your peers, you know? are you listening to rehoboam's friends thinking that they know the same as the older guys so uh, let me just sort of zoom back out for a second you know you know remember the guy the guy writing 1 kings the whole the whole question is why is there failure in the system and his first argument is because rehoboam demonstrates unsurprising stupidity he does not receive instruction he doesn't listen to his father's uh, proverbs. He doesn't listen to the elders that loved the Lord, that were giving him sound counsel. And he did not want to be a servant king. And that's why they failed. But it'd be easy to leave it there. But the Bible doesn't present life as just sort of a series of human decisions. The Bible presents an infinitely more complex and interesting worldview because somehow... Some way, God was involved in this behind the scenes. Look at verse 15. This is where the author sort of ends this story, this section. Look at verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people. Why not? Because he was being stupid, right? But is that the argument of the author? Yes, but not completely. He goes on. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. (laughs) So which is it? Why was there failure in the system? Was it because of Rehoboam's foolishness? Or was it because this was what the Lord had ordained to happen? Are you feeling the tension? Why is there failure in the system? You know, Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, uh, talking about this passage, uh, put it this way. Uh, He said, God had nothing to do with the sin or the folly, but in some way which we can never explain, in a mysterious way in which we are to believe without hesitation, God was in it all. Friends, if that's hard to grasp... um, I guess the second thing I want you to see is the surprising hope in that statement. (laughs) This is the surprising hope of a believer is that no matter what's happening, all things work together for good for those who love God. Even the splitting of the kingdom, God was in that. Does that mean God planned for sin or wanted sin to happen? No, but somehow, without being guilty of sin, God was able to use Rehoboam's foolishness to bring it about that one day this world would meet King Jesus. And if that seems hard to understand, the Bible is going to keep bringing up this tension over and over and over again. And it really comes to a climax in the New Testament when the ultimate servant king... (laughs) The king that the uh, advisors were wanting Rehoboam to be, right? This servant king who would lay down his life for his people when King Jesus would come. And, of course, King Jesus would come and people would kill him. And as the apostles are trying to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people, it's fascinating to me, if you read in the book of Acts, how they talk about Jesus' death. Why did Jesus die? You know what they tell people in the book of Acts? Listen to this. They, uh, this is them preaching the gospel. They say, this is Acts 3.15. They say, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. <laughs> you killed Jesus. You killed the author of life. So why did Jesus die? Because of human sin. And yet, in the same breath, the apostles can say this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So friends, why did Jesus die? Was it because of human sin or was it because of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that he would use that sin to redeem the world? Friends, this is the worldview of the believer. This is the surprising hope of the gospel is that God can take our worst and use it to bring about the salvation of this world and to redeem all things. Somehow, there's surprising hope that God is even in the messes of our lives. And if God can use the human rejection of Jesus to redeem us all, how is he not much more going to redeem the messes of your life The mistakes that you and I make. Friends, you know why there's failure in the system? (laughs) Are you just looking at it from a human perspective? Well, it's because people are stupid. Because I made this mistake because of this. Or do you see the surprising hope that somehow God is in it? And friends, if you are a Christian in this room, there is no better hope that I can give you than today to remember that God's will will always always be done and it has been done the servant king has come and he is coming again what better hope is there let's pray father we thank you for the book of first kings Uh, lord we pray for everyone in this room and myself included that if we need to receive instruction lord that you would give us humility by the power of your spirit Uh, Lord, would you keep us from Rehoboam's folly? And Lord, if we have made shipwreck of our lives or our country or our families, uh, Lord, would you, uh, by your power, remind us of the surprising hope of the gospel, that all things work together for good for those who love you. Father, we thank you that we can believe that because Jesus is alive. In his name we pray, amen.